our passage from God's Word. And this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow in the, in the bulletin. The, uh, the text is there in full. Last month, I, uh, I did something. I, I either haven't done this in a long time, or I, I think I've never done it. I'm not sure which. I was so proud of myself, I posted on Facebook about what I did. Um, just modeling humility to, to, to everybody. But uh, last month, I read a book the same month it came out. I, I'm, I'm usually chasing books, or, or don't ever get to them, or I mean to. But I actually finished a book the same month it came out. And uh, the book was called Moonwalking with Einstein. It's by a guy named Joshua Four. He's a science journalist, and uh, he was writing a piece for Slate magazine, and he was researching a memory. And at this memory competition, these contestants will do things like you're given a deck of cards and five minutes to memorize it. And so like five minutes later, to be able to go three of diamonds, eight of hearts, boop, 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 and get them all right. So he was covering this competition. He starts getting to know people in this kind of subculture of memory competitions and uh, sort of got pulled in and then started learning these techniques of how to do this himself. Some of these are very ancient techniques. They go back to kind of classical education. And a year later, he entered the same competition and won it. And so he, he just captures that in this book. So interesting book, fun, fun read, light read. Well, about a week after I finished it, um, I came across a book review of Moonwalking with Einstein. And usually when I see book reviews, it's a book I've never heard of. Uh, but this time, I'd actually already read the book, and I thought, aha, I shall you know, read the review of the book that I have finished. And uh, so I'm reading it, and it was a reviewer from the Boston Globe. And he made a point that I, I read this whole book, and I didn't really think about it. He said, okay, this, this is an interesting story. But these cast of characters that you meet, that you're introduced to by the author, what are we to think of them? Because, like One of them in particular, who ends up being sort of a, a mentor or a coach to the author to show him how to do these techniques, how to cultivate memory. This guy was so taken with these skills and these abilities that his goal was to, this is a quote, to revolutionize Western education with these techniques, teach children how to do them and just really harness the brain power that we all show up with. So his plan is not like, yeah, I'd like to sell a few books about it. He's going to revolutionize Western education. Um, but when you watch this guy's life in the book, who's mentoring the author, this guy, he, he, most of when you see him, he's trying to impress people or, or pick up women in bars. And so this reviewer from the Boston Globe said, uh, last time I checked, that's sort of like almost any other guy. So in other words, you're championing these amazing techniques, and you really can do some amazing things, you know, and, and make some amazing claims with these techniques. You're championing them, but are you really that different? You who champion them. Now, why do I bring all that up? Easter Sunday, all right, already around the world, churches have been championing the resurrection. And right now, as we're meeting, churches throughout Greenville are championing the resurrection. And they're saying things like, you know, this changed everything. And it did. That came up in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. The resurrection 
is everything. I mean, it did move the Sabbath, the celebration of God's people from one day to the next. It's that big a deal. Hey, and, and, and culprits here. Resurrection and champion it to you. It can be like, all right, we're giving you this Christian kryptonite. And this Christian kryptonite can just be in your pocket. And if some kind of skeptical argument against Christianity comes along, or some friend or co-worker of yours who's hostile to Christianity, if they get, you know, snarky with you, you can just kind of bring out the kryptonite and be like, aha, and, you know, reduce them to their knees. But the question is, all right, and celebrate the resurrection because it's true. Are we that different? Like, yeah, we've got this great thing that we're celebrating. And we don't just have it today. We've got it all the time. We've got it. We believe it, that it changes everything. But are we that different? What, what do you think of who you are? And, and I'm not asking for verbal, audible answers. But if you were going to answer out loud, what, what do you think of you? Do you like who you are? Are you changing? Have you changed from who you were five years ago? Or are, are you sitting here saying, I, I don't know where to begin with what all I don't like about me, and I don't know where all to begin with what needs to change about me. We're celebrating this great thing. Have we changed? Are we different? The book of Romans... Our passage this morning has been called by some people the masterpiece of the Apostle Paul, who wrote a bunch of stuff in the New Testament. But the, in some ways, Romans is his masterpiece. We're in chapter 6 this morning. Now, he has already mentioned the resurrection. He mentions the resurrection like in verse 2 or 3 of that book. He can't go hardly any verses without bringing it up. But this is the first time that he applies the resurrection. And interestingly, it's not to prove the validity of the Christian claims. And trust me, he had to do that all the time. He was in those discussions all the time. But he applies it to say, how do we really change? Because here's the thing. Paul has been out there preaching news, and there are... It, it's so devoid of any strings attached or any requirements. It's so devoid of any hoops to jump through. It's such a free gift that people started asking the question, okay, wait a minute. If it's that free, if, if there are no strings attached, if you don't have to jump through any hoops, people just going to say, well, you know what? Then I'm just going to sin more. If it glorifies God to forgive bad people, I'm going to be bad and glorify God. To be forgiving to sinners, I'm going to give him some to forgive. And Paul says, all right, that's crazy talk, but why is it crazy talk? And what he takes us to, to answer that question, is the resurrection. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, please now, we pray, feed us from Your table. As a loving Father feeds His children, as a loving Father gives good gifts to His children, feed us, give us this good gift. May it be open to us, not just intellectually, but open to us in our heart of hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you have uh, ever seen Lonesome Dove, the Western Lonesome Dove. There's a scene in Lonesome Dove where a woman named Lorena... She had been abducted by one of the bad guys in, uh, in Lonesome Dove and taken away and has probably been ravaged by different men, who knows what. And she's rescued by one of the main characters, Gus, played by Robert Duvall. And she's talking to Gus, and there's this really poignant moment where she says, probably remembering what all they did to her, she says, they, they shouldn't have taken me, Gus. And uh, in this, you know, way that only Robert Duvall could say it, he says, I know, honey, but they did. I know, but they did. All right, those words, to me, really capture how humanity ought to feel when it thinks about this guy named Adam. We're in Romans chapter 6 this morning. In the chapter before this, Romans 5, the Apostle Paul gives one of the longest reflections in the Bible about Adam outside of Genesis. And here's the point he's driving. And this is already established earlier in the Bible, but he's, he's doing the math about why the good news is, is really good news. And first he has to unpack a lot of the bad news. And here's a huge part of the bad news is that when 
disobeyed God. And by the way, in the Bible, not just in the Bible, but even on the lips of Jesus himself, Adam is not a mythic figure. He's presented in historic narrative as somebody who lived in real time and space. But when he disobeyed that day in some way that we can't fully understand, we were, and this is weird, in him. And when he rebelled against God for no good reason, we did too. When Adam fell, we fell. When sin and death entered him and the world, it came on us too and devastated us. And here's the thing. When you hear that, it ought to make you say, well, I didn't ask for him to represent me. I didn't vote Adam in to be my representative in the garden. And he shouldn't have done that. And in a sense, the Scriptures would say, I know it. I know he shouldn't have. But he did. Okay, but here's the thing. If what's going on inside of your heart as you hear that is, well, that's not fair. It's not fair for somebody to act for me and then on my behalf mess everything up. And here's the thing. If it's not fair for that man to do something for us, to take our place, to represent us, then it's not fair for someone else to represent us and do it. Okay, so here, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. What else came along and did it right for us? And of course, in the New Testament, what is being just screamed from the rooftops is... This is the very thing that Jesus Christ did. That everything that was ruined by the first Adam is now going to be made right by the last Adam. Now, here's the mystery. Something is said in verse 5 of the text. This is going to be really important. And this is theological, but it's biblical. It's in the text And I so want you to understand this because this will help you understand the whole Bible better. Look in verse 5. It says, If we have been united with Him in a death like His. United with Him. These exact words are not in the Bible, but what theologians call what I'm about to talk about is union with Christ. And what it means is this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that He is this great teacher and we believe His dogmas, we follow His teachings the way someone else follows another religious leader's teachings. No, no. To be united to Him means I don't just listen to Him, although we do. I don't just follow Him, although I do. I don't just believe in Him, although I do. But we're in Him so that what he has... uh, Jason Cornwell said this. What he has, we have. What he did, his people have and themselves did. Sometimes, especially the Apostle Paul, when he is saying something that's like the crescendo of a letter or making the big culmination point of a letter, this phrase will show up where he'll say, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus. When you see those words, that means people who don't just sign off on the lovely things that Jesus said about the love of God, but believe in Him 
and are united to Him so that what He has, they have. A couple of examples. Two chapters after this, Paul says one of the most famous statements in the New Testament. And it really is like a symphony crescendo in Romans. And that book is awesome anyway, but it's kind of like, moment. And he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who what? Obey the Bible? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who believe Jesus' teachings? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In another place, and this is very important for this morning, he says, if any man is in Christ, he's better? He is a new creation. The old, Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. But who is that true of? All the human race? No. Men and women and children who are in Christ. Right, that, in fact, I want to read this to you. I don't, I'm not going to quote a long quote here, but just give me two sentences. Give me two sentences. This is a theologian named John Murray. This guy was a smart potato. And he says this, Union with Christ, this is incredible. Union with Christ is really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. In other words, at the end of the day, here's where biblical theology takes you. Here's where the Scriptures take you. At the end of the day, every man and woman and child is either in Adam still, because we all show up that way, or supernaturally, you have been put in Christ and you have everything. You have everything the Son of God has. So here's what I want to look at this morning. Not for the whole human race, but for those who are believers... For those who are in Christ, here's the two things I want to look at. In Christ, the old self died. And in Christ, the new self rose. First off, in Christ, the old self died. Verses 3 through 5, Paul, we would call this, is beating a dead horse. He, I mean, he says it once, and then he says it again, and then he says it again. Listen to this. Again, he's writing to Christians. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Next verse. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. Verse 5. We have been united with Him in a death like His. Death. De- what, what is, what's being said here? And I... And, I find myself saying this more and more. Christianity is unabashedly supernatural. And the Scriptures are not embarrassed about making supernatural claims. Do you understand what's being said here? I mean, in a way, I don't understand it. I just know it is saying something supernatural. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ in some mysterious way that we don't fully understand, 2,000 years ago, we were there. In some mysterious way that we can't understand, He didn't just die a real death. We died. He wasn't just buried in that tomb. We were buried 
in him. Now, somebody could hear that and go, okay, I'm not the greatest person ever, but I don't know that I want me to die. I, I don't know that I, I mean, I kind of like me, really. And I kind of want me to stay around. I don't know that I want what Jesus does to kill me off. I want me. And here's the beautiful thing. That is the very thing that God came to secure through the work of Jesus Christ. It is the old self that is killed. Look in verse 6. It's not the real person. It says that, verse 6, we know that our old self, or in the Greek, the old man was crucified in him. What does that mean? It means that... As I said at the beginning, every person in this room bears the image of God. Every person in this room was created by God to know Him. And that the end game is not to learn Bible verses and be nice. The end game is to love Him and know Him, to commune with the God who made you, to commune with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to love other people in the way that we've been loved, which means that we would be gracious and we would be forgiving, and we would be patient, and we would be just. Now, if, if we were that, that would be the real us, but there is all this stuff that we show up with where we don't want to love God, and we don't want to love other people. And I don't want what you need because I have needs, and maybe I can get to your needs after my needs are met. But it's, I want what I want, Self, self, self. We cannot be the real us. I know that's tortured grammatically. But we cannot be the real us until the old us dies. And if you are in Christ, here's what I want you to hear. The old self was killed. Not hindered. Killed. No one survives crucifixion. Interesting example of this. I read a biography of C.S. Lewis a few years ago, and the guy who wrote this biography, he made a point I'd never thought about. He said that if you read the stuff that C.S. Lewis wrote before he became a Christian, it's learned, he was highly educated, he's not a dum-dum, it's kind of interesting, but it's just flat. It's not special at all. And then almost immediately... After he becomes a Christian, the stuff he writes sounds different. Even if he's not writing about Christian claims, it sounds like the guy we love. It sounds like the guy who could put things in such an interesting, gripping way that his stuff never goes out of print. And what are you seeing there? It's not that poor C.S. Lewis, he got killed off when he became a Christian. No, the old Lewis that was hindering all these wonderful things, was polished off. And the new Lewis sprung to life. Now, I'll, forget Lewis. Let's think about you. Everybody in this room has secrets. Every, the nicest person in this room has secrets. And when we think about our past... Sometimes we don't just think about the chronology, my upbringing, my hometown, my school. 
we think about these secrets. And even those who, who believe everything that we're saying this morning, and I know this from experience, it is very easy to continue to define yourself by your own past. You know, I know that I don't anymore, but I misused, I misused men or I misused women, or I misused food, or I misused drink, or I lied, or I hurt people in my own family. I betrayed people. And even though outwardly your life doesn't look like that anymore, the way you really understand yourself is that you know, at the end of the day, I'm just a, and fill in the blank with those secrets. Or fill in the blank with the past. And do you know what Romans 6 is saying? It's not just Romans 6. It is a breeze blowing all the way through the New Testament. It says, if you are in Christ, you are not defined by your past. You are defined by Christ's past. And do you know what his past is? He died to sin. What does that mean? Because, you know, Jesus never sinned. Very important theological truth. Jesus never sinned. How could He die to sin? It says in 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus became so identified with sin that He became sin. He never committed a sin but he became so identified with it, he became sin. But right before he died, he said, it is finished. He went back to calling God Father. And he gave up his spirit. And when that happened, that meant that from that moment on, sin and Jesus would never be in contact with one another. He will bring sinners into His immediate presence forever. But the reason that He will be able to do that as perfect God and perfect man is that at that moment, His contact, His identity with sin died. And Romans 6 is saying, if you are in Christ, this has happened to you. How can that be? Because I still keep sinning. Trust me, I understand, because I do too. You're in good company. But it means this, that whereas we were born into kind of like a realm where the king is sin, and you're in slavery to it, and you may even feel like, I'm making my own decisions, and I'm my own moral agent, and I'm empowered, and I'm going to have a better life. It's just different manifestations of your own slavery in this kingdom that you cannot rescue yourself from. And the good news is that if you are in Christ, you do not live in that kingdom anymore. That you are now the real you. I mean, in my own life... Um, as I said, have said before, as best I remember, I was converted about 10th grade, I think in the fall. 
And there's a lot about how I thought and felt and reasoned before I was a Christian that I don't recall clearly. Hey, bud. But I do remember this. I do remember the feeling of being like a chameleon. That if I was with religious people, I would be religious. And if I was with moral people, I'd be moral. If I was with people with, uh, that would really push the edge in their humor, I would push the edge in my humor. But I tried to blend into whoever I was with. And as I look back, I realize, besides just being that that's just gross, that that's bondage, is it was a hindrance to ever being actually who I am. And that for all my sin and for all my failings, I'm not enslaved to that anymore. But it's only because He set me free. It wasn't through disciplines or planning or my own focused Christian life. It was because the old Brian died. The new self in Christ rose. Now, here, here's the amazing thing about this. This has a future component to it and a present component to it. It's both future and present. Uh, for the future, look in verse 5. It says, If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We will be. Future. In other words, one of these days, as we've said before, and I have no idea when Jesus is coming back. We don't have chronology charts in this church of when Jesus is coming back. I would be very suspect of such charts. It could be this afternoon. It could be 5,000 years from now. If downtown Greenville is still around when Jesus returns, where will be the most... Where will the most happening places be? It will not be Main Street. As we have said before, it will not be Main Street. It'll be Springwood Cemetery and the Christ Church churchyard. These dense spots of those who have passed away when Christ returns will become beehives of activity. The dead will rise physically. Literally, actually, those in Adam will rise to ongoing death. Those in Christ will rise to more life, more experienced life. But that begins in the present. How do you see it in the text, not only the future thing, but as a present thing? Look in verse, verse uh, 4, last part, part of verse 4 says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's a present activity. But then really, and this is in some ways the driving verse of where I want to go with this to wrap up, is verse 11. And this is, this is so important. In this whole passage of verses 1 through 11, there's only one command. I don't know if you noticed that. Everything else is just Paul saying, here's what is true. Here's what is the case. The one command is verse 11. What does Paul say to believers? You must consider yourselves. If you're going to really change, if you're going to be different, you've got to think about yourself this way. You must consider yourselves dead to sin. Remember that. Dwell on it. And consider yourselves alive 
to God. Alive to God. That you not only will rise in soul and body, but on that resurrection morning, you rose with Him. And you've got that right now. Uh, Are we capable... Are we still capable of acting like the old self? We do it constantly. We've done it this morning. But here's the thing, guys. This is how we're to consider ourselves. If you are here this morning and you are in Christ, please hear this good news. You are not a forgiven old you. And that's what I used to think. I thought I was the me I had always been, but I was going to heaven now. No. If you are in Christ, you're not a forgiven old you. You are a forgiven new you. You are a new creation. The old has gone, passed away, died, been crucified. You're the new you. And do you know what that means? That means that when you hear the voices of accusation in your own mind, you know, sometimes these voices of accusation, they may come from something outside of ourselves. The Bible is very open and honest about the reality of the demonic and the satanic. And if that sounds weird and spooky to you, I would just ask you, when you encounter evil in the world, does it seem to be... Uh, chaotic and random, or does it seem to have an intelligence to it? It seems to have an intelligence to it. It seems to have a rhyme and reason to it, even if it brings about chaotic things. Accusations come from outside. Accusations come from inside. And what it might sound like is, so you're going to get dressed up, and you're going to walk in the sanctuary on West Washington, and you're going to sing these songs. And you're going to pretend like you're something that you are not when you know what you did. And the what you did may be something 10 years ago. The what you did may be this morning or last night. Do you know what the voice is saying? It's saying, you are always who you've been. And you'll never be anything else. And the gospel says, if I am in Christ, the old self died. New man. I'm a new woman. And even though I might be crummy at telling the truth, when I tell the truth, that is the real me. I may just now be learning what it means to tie together following Christ and sexuality. And I may not be very good at it, and I may have a truckload of baggage, but when I take these little baby steps of what that means, that is the real me. What I did was the old me, and the old me died. That is good news. And my my exhortation and my plea to you on the basis of God's Word this morning is that if you're in Christ, that you think about yourself that way. The addiction, the secret, the anger, my temper, my volatility, how inconsiderate I am, how selfish I am. If I am in Christ, 
that self died. When I take baby steps of being more considerate, when I take baby steps to rightly use food and drink, that's the real me. But I want to say this to you this morning. If, if, you, if you're sitting here and you don't know if you're in Christ, I would ask you, what, whatever you think about yourself, have you changed in the last five years? I mean, really changed. And I don't mean learn some life lessons like, yeah, I had this contractor rip me off and I really learned you've got to get everything in writing. Boy, I'll never make that mistake again. Uh, that's not what I mean. I mean, you could be an atheist and learn that lesson. You could be any world religion and learn that lesson. You probably will. But what I mean is, do the people who know you best, who maybe even live with you, would they say, you have changed in the last five years? We know you. If you haven't, it's very possible that you are still in Adam. There's a very important if in this text, verse 5. If, for if we have been united with Him. Do you know what would be wonderful this morning? Do you know what would be a great thing to happen on Easter? Would be for if to turn into reality. To simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ... And if you do that, do you know what that means? That means God has already been at work in you. And when you believe, not by our decision, but by His kind hand, He will unite you to Christ so that everything precious Jesus has, you have. And your disobedience, my folly, will not take it away. I want to end with this. You know, the hymn that we're closing with it's called In Christ Alone. And it talks about the resurrection. I can't think of a better to end on. But let me say this. The hymn that we ended on last week, you know, I try when, we're, when, when uh, I'm up front and we're singing, I try not to do the, you know, sing out on this one. And, you know, like, ah, because I, I don't like when song leaders do that. You said Diva. <laughs> Amen. Uh, the song that we sung last week is called, Jesus Shall Reign. And I just want you to hear this in light of what we just heard, and then we're going to pray. And it's talking about Jesus. It says, where He displays His healing power, death and the curse are known no more. In Him, the tribes of Adam boast, and that's all people, in Him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Adam blew it. He blew it. And I think, had we been there, we would have too. In Christ, we're not just brought back to square one. We have more blessings than Adam lost for us. Be united to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we show up dead. We show up dead. And only you can give life. We need what Jesus has.
Lord Jesus, we need your life. We need your death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension. It's to you that we look. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, we pray. If any man or woman or child is here and doesn't know that they're in you, who fears they might still be in Adam, would you take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh to believe and to be found in Christ now and on the last day? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.